This is episode number 75, Building Unbreakable Humans with Steph Godreau. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of a mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I walked away from a secure job. I walked away from tenure, and I took a risk on something new. Now I want to essentially turn the page and go to a new chapter. But for something to grow, something else usually must die. It must end. You know, for things to open, for doors to open, there need to be hard decisions about doors that need to close. And oftentimes we can't see those things until the process is actually playing out. I'm so happy that you guys are here. Thank you so much for coming and listening to the show every week. We've had some incredible guests so far in these 75 episodes that we've recorded. And I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot and I'm so thankful for people giving their time and giving their energy to this podcast. And we wouldn't be here today without you. So thank you so much for checking in and listening to the show. I'm just heading back from Utah. I was there doing a project with the tourism board, a mountain bike project in southwestern Utah. And there's some really great trails there. I actually go there every year to St. George to do the True Grit 100 mile mountain bike race. But this time I was invited just to come down and ride and take awesome photos and write an article about it. So it's really fun to go somewhere without a race, without the pressure of a race and get to ride different trails than I normally get to ride. And a huge plus is that Matt got to go with me. So that's been really cool. And also we just got a puppy. That's right. Cute puppy photos are coming. (laughs) I promise I won't inundate you with cute puppy photos on Instagram, but it's really cool to have an animal because I've never had a real pet before. So I'll be sharing more about that later. If you're enjoying the show, I would really, really appreciate it if you could screenshot it and share it with your friends on social media or just tell them about it. Your word of mouth is what gives this show roots. It's what helps it grow. So thank you so much for helping me nurture this awesome project and for sharing it with your friends. Also, leaving reviews and ratings helps the show grow as well. So if you just go into Apple Podcasts and go to ratings and review and just leave a note for me, I would really appreciate it. And it would also help people who are coming to the show for the first time. So let's talk about Steph. Steph Godreau's mission in life is to help build unbreakable humans. And her calling is to help women build stronger bodies and stronger minds. And it's what drives all of her work. From her incredibly powerful Instagram posts on her account of over 200,000 followers to her best-selling books, she creates meaningful content to help people change for the better. This all started from a food blog, believe it or not. And I think it's really awesome that all of these people who pursue their passions can end up making a massive impact in the world and help people on so many fronts. Steph is well-versed in creating changes in life. She walked away from a secure 12-year teaching career to pursue her food blog in the paleo world. This diet helps her get off sugar and processed foods and start eating healthier. And you guys know that I'm a fan of plant-based nutrition, but I don't want to make this show exclusive to people who promote that. I think it's important to have multiple views and also different things work for different people. So I was really excited to have her on the show. She also transitioned from an eight-year span as an endurance athlete, yep, she was a mountain biker and she was also a triathlete, to squatting and lifting heavyweight in the gym. After building an impressive empire, thousands of paleo recipes and an identity in the paleo world, she shifted once again. No longer wanting to carry the label of paleo, she recently decided that she doesn't need to be limited to a label and is finding a new definition of what nutrition means to her and how she can help others as a holistic nutrition coach. Steph and I definitely have something in common with food. We agree fruits and vegetables are awesome and that people should add in healthy, nourishing foods to eventually crowd out the unhealthy ones. She has a book coming out next year that covers her four pillars, eat nourishing foods, strengthen your body, recharge your energy, and get your mindset right. 
those all ring a bell for me, especially the recharge your energy part. And that's something that I'm desperately trying to work on. We barely scratched the surface of Steph's wheelhouse. She has so much information and I would recommend checking out her amazing podcast, Harder to Kill Radio, where she interviews all of these amazing people that bring so much knowledge on how to support all of these four pillars that we just mentioned. It's also a chart-topping podcast, so I highly recommend checking it out if you like podcasts. As a business person and brand, I am inspired by the work that she does, and I look to her as a leader in carving a space in optimal wellness. You're definitely going to hear a lot of interesting things in the show, but you're going to feel really good after you finish this. What you're going to feel is a space where you can be more gentle with yourself to just be but also be comfortable with the pull of wanting to be better. And having that balance I find is really hard of, of wanting to always be improving, but then to also just be happy with where you are. So I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Here is Steph Godreau. Steph Godreau, I'm so happy that you're here on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to talk with you and see what you're up to in the world. It's always good stuff. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm, I'm like one of your biggest fans and I read pretty much everything you put out there because I think that you're so incredibly inspiring because you're vulnerable and you're so real. Like some of the pictures you post, like people would be too afraid to post those. And you're like, this is me. <laughs> yeah, like because you have a, a dental, like you're missing your front tooth sometimes, right? Yeah. When I was eight, I knocked out my front tooth on a bike actually <laughs> fell off my bike and uh, long story short I had a, a crown for many years and then eventually that went bad so now I need an implant and I'm like in halfway in the middle of that process so yeah I have like a an Invisalign tray with a fake tooth in it and it's my front tooth so occasionally I you know I go out in public without it in and post Instagram lives or Instagram stories and whatever <laughs> it is what it is <laughs> I think it's so powerful, though, because especially women, it's like, oh, we're supposed to look perfect all the time and we're supposed to like have all these filters. Yeah. And like just being able to watch you do that, it just is like, OK, like I don't have to look perfect in all my photos. Like it's it's awesome. <laughs> this is real. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm about four or five months away from turning 40. And I think that as I've gotten older, I'm just kind of have shed a lot of those like I need to, you know, craft my image. And of course, as somebody who has a brand and is online, like there's definitely branding that goes into things. But the more I've eased into just who I am and this idea of, hey, there are times <laughs> I posted a photo a few weeks ago that actually got the most likes I've ever gotten on any kind of social media I think I got like 11,000 likes on one picture, which was like way higher than anything else. And it was me sort of sitting there with like super kind of top knot, dirty hair, like ladies, you know what that's all about, right? The <laughs> the dirtier the hair, the higher it gets on your head. I'm rocking it and, now. <laughs> uh, yeah. And like my tooth was out and I had a compression hosiery on one leg because I had a hematoma and I was just like, you know, if you're, if you're having a hard day and like you think things suck right now. Like you could look like this and people just were like, thank you for not using like only the best angles and filters and like just being a real person. So I feel like the more I'm able to do that, the more it gives women, especially permission to do that. And it, it sounds weird, almost counterintuitive because you'd think, well, of course you can post whatever you want, whenever you want. But you know, what I've found from working with women, especially is when you feel like disempowered for whatever reason, society, personal relationships, lack of agency over your body, whatever it is, you often, you don't realize that you have the permission and you need sometimes somebody to actually give the permission to you and um, let you know, like, Hey, it's all right to show up and just be how you are. And so I feel like the more I can do that with people and I, you know, I post nice photos of me like professionally and my, that my friends take and whatever, but I feel like it's important to be real too. And I think people are really craving that in sort of this social media curated experience that people are in every day when they're looking at their favorite accounts and influencers and stuff like that. 
So where did you learn or get the confidence to be vulnerable in front of your quarter of a million followers? Because <laughs> I mean, it, like it takes a lot of courage to do that. It's been a process for sure. I mean, I've had my Instagram for over seven years. It's just been there growing and growing slowly, but surely. And I think, you know, on one hand, it's easier because you're not face to face with a quarter of a million people. <laughs> you know, uh, if you were to walk into a medium, a, a baseball stadium, is not going to hold that many people? But like, let's say you walked into a baseball stadium full of people, maybe what, 30,000 people and you go to, down onto the field and you look around and you're like, this is how many people are reading, you know, maybe my posts in, or seeing my posts in a day or whatever it is. And you're just like, oh, this is a lot of people. I don't want to screw up in front of all of them because they were face to face, basically. And I think in a lot of ways, working online has helped me to develop that confidence. On the other hand, <laughs> it also has resulted in, I mean, I wouldn't say an overwhelming number of situations, but some situations where people just attack you for no reason. And I think part of it for me has just been a slow, very slow thickening of the skin over time and a realization that, and I don't remember where this quote comes from or even where I heard it first, but hurt, hurt people, hurt people. So people who are hurting, people who are sad, people who are upset, people who are lonely, they're often the ones who lash out and trying to remember that it's often not about me if those things happen. And so I think it's just come from practice and constantly every day showing up. And there is some, at least for me, it's been some desensitization over time to those things, to those criticisms, to those trolls, to those things that come out. But on the flip side, hearing from people and hearing from women, especially who they direct message me and sometimes these messages are just so amazing and sweet and heartfelt. And when they share that little piece of, you know, this podcast that you did made me feel like I wasn't alone or this thing that you shared about being divorced two times made me feel like I didn't need to hide it from people anymore. Like I wasn't alone. And I think that for all the potential downsides of being somebody who has a, a public face on you know, on the internet and social media, it's been an overwhelmingly positive experience. And, and I grow stronger from those positive experiences too. So I love that. Now I want to talk about um, when I met you, because I think I met you in like 2009 or 2010 or something at the whiskey off road, like back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I think you were mm -hmm. racing there. Yeah, I did that race. Yeah. One time. <laughs> yeah. And like this journey you've been on, it's been really awesome to like have met you then and to just have watched you just like get on a rocket ship of authenticity and also just like feeling things out on your own and just like take off and be able to transform so many people's lives, including mine. So I, I want to hear more about this journey and I, I want the audience to hear about your journey because we always look at people and we're like, oh, they're so successful. They're so this or so that but we don't realize like where they came from and the things that they had to go through to get there. So, you yeah. know, if, if someone goes to your Instagram right now, they're like, well, this isn't a cycling Instagram at all. And mm -hmm. you've, you've come a long way. So I just want to hear about this journey. Yeah. I think if you go back to the, if you had, if you were bored enough and you scrolled back to the very beginning, you might, cause I've never deleted any photos off there. I think you'd probably find some, some pictures of me in the, like the very last race or two that I did in 2011. You know, I found mountain biking when I was in college, my first husband boyfriend at the time, but my first husband was into mountain biking and it was just a really kind of casual thing, but he had this like old aluminum framed, I don't know, Nishiki, I think. And he had, a, he got a new bike. He got like a fancy mountain bike. And so I was like, I want to go mountain biking. Like, I want to try this out. And I've always been into sports since I was a kid. I mean, I've competed in all sorts of sports, soccer, track, taekwondo. I mean, mountain biking for a really long time, CrossFit, weightlifting, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, like I do, I've done so many different sports and like physicality and competition were always things I really liked to do. But anyway, I got on a bike for the first time and we rode down this fire road in Western Mass 
And I mean, that, <laughs> that aluminum frame bike beat me up and my arms were numb. And I just thought this was equal parts terrifying and really thrilling. And I just really liked it. It was different from anything I had ever done. And so I started mountain biking and I just a few months after that showed up to a race in, uh, I think it was in North in East Hampton. And I showed up to this race and there were a lot of guys there and they were all kitted. It was like a local race, but they're all kitted out and they really nice bikes and all this stuff. And I showed up on this beater bike with cargo shorts and uh, just a white tank top and sneakers and like toe cages, mm-hmm. you know, and I had no idea what I was doing. And yet I entered this race and I just had so much fun that that really kicked off like almost eight years of racing for me. So, you know, then I competed in all sorts of sports. I mean, I started doing cross country and it just, I didn't really have the lungs for it. Um, (laughs) Eventually I moved to downhill racing when I moved out West in 2004. I was actually at Mammoth in 2004 and I earned a spot in the beginners class national championship for cross country And I went from sea level, you know, I lived in Arizona at the time and went up to Mammoth and raced and got absolutely destroyed. And at the end of the race, I saw these people on these downhill bikes and I had never really seen this up close. And I just thought that looks pretty badass. And then a girl came down took off her helmet and I still know her Christine Christine takes off her helmet and she's got this like long flowing blonde hair and I just thought girls can do this I am totally into this and um so I started racing downhill for several years and um eventually made my way back onto more of a cross-country bike and did a lot of endurance racing so that's kind of where I ended in about 2011 but you know by that point I was getting pretty beat down I was doing a lot of endurance races I wasn't quite as strong as you, Sonia, like I just, it was just hard for me to keep it up and keep up my day job and ride a lot during the week. And the distance just kind of got to me. And, uh, in about 2010, a friend of mine who I knew from mountain biking dared me to try a CrossFit workout. And I was already dealing with some back problems from riding and stuff. And I thought, you know, what, I'll try it. And I did a a workout in the garage and I was like, this is kind of fun and different. And as is typical for me, I I do tend to go in cycles and, you know, like every, they're like every seven years, you know, you change who you are, things change. And that's really been true in a lot of ways in my life, but I ended up doing CrossFit for a while along with, and I did it a few times a week, but did it along with cycling. And, you know, I got way faster and and stronger on the bike, which isn't necessarily what I thought was going to happen because everybody around me was like, oh, you're going to build too much muscle. And, you're going to just get slower. And it's not at all what happened to me. So I was doing both for a little while. And then in 2011, I think I did my last race or so. And then I sold all my bikes. <laughs> so I really moved pretty quickly from mountain biking into strength training. But there was like a huge body image reason why being in the cycling world was really difficult for me. And it's because I just don't have a typical cyclist body. You know, I'm not like a, I'm not thin and tall or, you know, I just didn't look like anybody else. I was like a, a tank, you know, short and stocky and giant quads. And um, it was just really hard for me to always, yeah, want to compete at a higher level. But no, you know, and everybody I was talking to was like, if you want to be fast on, you know, if you want to be fast at cross country, you got to be a good climber. And if you want to be a good climber, you got to weigh less you know, strength to power ratio and output and climbing was definitely not my strong point. And I always felt this huge internal pressure to like be smaller, lose weight. And I remember seeing a photo of myself. So the very end of sort of when I was riding bikes, I did a season of Xterra triathlon and I was doing triathlons, putting even in even more miles and more hours. And we did a race up in Tahoe And I did that race and I saw a photo of myself at the end of the race. We kind of like drove up to this waterfall and I have this picture to this day. I look at it often and I was kind of doing this like muscle pose, like a bodybuilder pose. Mm -hmm. And I, that, that day, I clearly remember this. I saw that photo that day and I just could not get over how fat I thought I looked and how big I thought I looked. And 
you know, clearly there's some body dysmorphia going on there. But at the time I was just like, how can I lose more weight? How can I get smaller? And, you know, so for me, I didn't think I was ever going to get there. And when I started strength training, it gave me something to focus on where it didn't really matter how much I weighed or, you know, it wasn't necessarily an advantage to be lighter. And I don't know, you kind of look at, I mean, when you look at elite, I don't know, volleyball players, for example, most of them are very, very tall, or you, you look at elite rowers and they all have very similar body type. Most of them do. And I just thought, you know, am I trying to shove a, a round peg into a square hole? I don't know. And so that was really tough for me. I, I remember looking at pictures of me with my teammates and just being so disappointed with myself and how I didn't look the part. I didn't fit in. And that was really hard. So eventually I felt like I kind of found a, a better fit in the strength world. But I do miss riding now and then. And I've I mean, I keep telling people this all the time. I've seen places on a mountain bike that you wouldn't believe. And it brought me some amazing friends and an amazing community. A lot of people that I'm still friends with to this day. But it was one of those choices that I had to make. And living in Southern California isn't exactly mountain bike mecca of the world, you know, in San Diego especially. So it got increasingly harder to, to just even go out for a ride at night or after work or on the weekend. You know, we have a lot of places that close down to bikes. So it all kind of came to a head and I just said, I'm going to quit for a while. And here we are eight years later. I haven't gone back yet. Yeah. I mean, it takes such an immense amount of courage to make changes in your life, especially if you were doing that for eight years. And those pivot points are what make us stronger because you're stepping out into the unknown. But yeah, like the body image part, I, I really wanted to talk about this because in cycling, you're right. It's not just numbers, strength to weight ratio. There's a pressure to be small. There's a pressure to be skinny. You know, it's glorified and people look around and they they wish that they were they were even skinnier. And it happens a lot in the male community as well. And it's been interesting for me because my husband, Matt, he's like six foot one and he's a former basketball player and he does not look like a cyclist. And he's always like, oh, I look like an enormous giant next to all these guys. <laughs> And mm-hmm. there's just like this pressure to always lose weight. Like even if you're at a healthy weight, it's like not about being healthy. It's about being skinny in extreme cases. So I think it's important just to have this dialogue to say to people like, it's okay if you're not like tiny boned, you know, super skinny frame, normal, that that's, if that's okay. If that's not your build and you want to be a cyclist, like let's focus on being strong and let's focus on being healthy. But you know, Absolutely. For, for me, People might look at me and look at my leg muscles and say, well, you look like a cyclist, but I've faced my entire career, like people telling me like, you know, this is really embarrassing and vulnerable to say on, you know, for people listening, but, oh, your boobs are too big. Like you can't be a cyclist or like, Mm -hmm. oh, your muscles are too big or like, you know, all these comments. So yeah, I think it's really cool that you found something that makes you feel really good about your body and something that, that gives you that confidence where you feel like you fit. Thanks. Yeah, it's a tough conversation to have, right? Because for people that are kind of naturally that way, I don't want there to be this like reverse kind of stigma, which is, well, if you're naturally thinner or leaner or taller, you know, like, we don't want to, you know, like there's something wrong with you, or you have it easy or whatever, you know, everybody has their, their thing. And I, I think you're so right. Even people who may fit the mold, so to say, you know, still have often insecurities over their body. And I think part of the issue, though, is, and I see this now in the strength training world, the CrossFit world as well, what I don't see is representation by people with different bodies. I don't see a lot of, and when I was in the cycling world, I didn't see it either. And maybe things have changed. I get the sense of perhaps not, but when you don't see someone that really looks like you, and I'm talking about, you know, either winning higher profile races or getting media coverage or being in print publications or being the face of a brand or what, when you don't see someone that looks like you, it's really hard to imagine yourself as belonging. You know what I mean? And so I think that that is a huge area where companies can do better in representing more diverse body types. 
in representing people of different races, in representing people of different abilities. For example, if you have somebody who's an adaptive athlete, you know, representing people of different ages. And I get from a corporate perspective that there's such a thing as, you know, your market and who you're marketing to. But I also feel like it's oftentimes hard to change things from the ground up, from the community, you know, upward. Sometimes you do need the partnership of companies and and corporations and people who are making the marketing messages to say, you know, here are people that look different. Because we're always like, well, you know, 95% of women want to look like 5% of women. (laughs) So true. There's like five, you know, 5% of or less of women have this quote unquote ideal body type. And 95% of us spend all day wanting to look like that. But how often do we see people who look different and in, you know, whether it's selling a product or being, like I said, the face of a brand or being an influencer, whatever it might be. So I think that's an opportunity for cycling companies, you know, all kinds of companies. I'm seeing it more in like women's, uh, <laughs> like women's bras or women's activewear. I'm seeing it a little bit more where you just see that different bodies can be fit bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would have helped me maybe a little bit. I'm not saying it would have like made made all of my insecurities and my body image problems go away, but that stuff does play a role. And, you know, I think of kids growing up and not seeing that either. And that just adds even more pressure. Young girls, I used to teach high school. I taught high school kids for 12 years, you know, and I saw that by the time they were 14 or 15, by the time I would get them as a teacher, these beliefs were already very instilled in many of them. So, yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. Like, should people feel bad about wanting to improve their health or their strength, or even in some cases their, their body and like have a a body aesthetics goal? I don't think it's wrong per se. And I don't think people should feel bad, but as a health coach and educator, I'm like, are we going about it in a way that's actually really healthy for us? You know, and when I was in doing triathlons, kind of at the end of all that, I wasn't eating enough food. No way. Like I was muscle wasting. I was getting so small and I wasn't really doing any strength training to try to offset the balance of the the cardio and endurance that I was doing. And, you know, I was able to change some of those things and, and turn them around. But I'm always sort of like, is this a healthy thing for you and your body and your mind and your soul? And it's hard to answer those questions for other people, but I would challenge people to like, kind of like get really clear and quiet and be like, is this thing really bringing health to my life in a lot of ways? And if, you know, withholding food and constantly dieting isn't, you know, there's different ways to do things, but sometimes it takes a lot of unlearning and unpacking of, of information and beliefs and how we've always done things. Yeah. I mean, I I think it takes a lot of digging deep to figure out what a healthy relationship with exercise and food looks like for each person, because that can be different. hundred percent. So I coach a lot of women now who are, you know, like me, middle-aged, busy. I don't have kids, but a lot of them have kids. They've got jobs. They've got a lot of responsibility, a lot of pressure. And, you know, it's sort of like many of them have dieted chronically for years. You know, metabolism is kind of wonky and it's like, Someone who has healthy adrenals might be able to go out and do six times a week of HIIT workouts. And somebody whose adrenal glands are kind of, you know, need some TLC and they're not really eating very much or very well and they're, they don't get a lot of sleep for recovery, that might not be a good match. You know, it's all about kind of like finding what a good match is for, for wherever you're at. And that can be tough. Like when you have a sport that you've invested a lot in. And whether it's you get that sinking feeling or a practitioner tells you like, hey, it's time to pivot and maybe find something new or at least take a break for a little while, that can be really hard. It's really hard to be able to have the courage to make those decisions and let your body come back to a better place. Yeah, I want to talk about the holistic nutrition therapy that you do because I was really inspired and proud of an email you sent recently because in your story, like you started a food blog and you're known as stupid, easy paleo. And like you saw lots of health benefits from eating a paleo diet, which is awesome. 
But then you kind of said, well, I don't want to hold this identity anymore. I want to kind of shift. So can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So in 2010, when I started CrossFit, it was actually earlier that year that I started eating paleo. And I mean, I was never like somebody I would consider a sickly person, but I definitely didn't feel great in my body on an everyday basis. You know, I had no energy. I would have to go to the corner store, leave school, go to the corner store, get a soda and candy and eat it on the way home. So I didn't completely fall asleep and crash for the rest of the day. You know, I had no energy by two o'clock. Forget it. I was struggling to keep my eyes open. My digestion was just a wreck. I had like adult acne, but I had it on my back. You know, it was just embarrassing. My moods were so bad. They were so uncontrollable. And like, I would get this hangry rage, obviously had blood sugar issues. But at the same time, it was one of those things where it was like, well, shrug, I can manage. I guess this is just how I'm going to feel. And I think a lot of people are in that spot. They've either forgotten how it feels to feel good, or they've never felt good for as long as they can remember. And that's a really difficult spot because you have nothing to kind of like latch on to for hope, you know? So I feel like for a lot of people, just doing even a short stint where you're like, I'm just going to focus on real whole foods. I'm going to try to cut out the processed food. Maybe I try to cut out some soda and replace it with something else. Like those little changes can really add up, but they can help you at least feel better. You know, weight loss can be a weird thing. Sometimes it takes a while to really like shift body composition because you're building muscle and burning fat. Sometimes there's some early wins with water loss, but you really got to stay in it, you know, and like what's going to be that next little carrot that keeps you going for a lot of people. It's just like getting through the day with more energy or whatever it is. So that happened to me. I started to feel a lot better when I changed up what I was eating and I just started trying to focus on foods that were less processed and looked more like how they come in nature. And I had a long learning process to go. Like I didn't exactly eat then how I eat now. And it's changed as I've found out, for example, I have endometriosis, which is often associated now with autoimmunity. So sometimes I'm like, try to be mindful of eating a lot of cow dairy probably isn't the best thing for me because of inflammation, for example. So what I do now is shifted a little bit, but at the beginning, a really strict way of like, yes, you, you eat these foods and no, you don't eat those foods helped me. And I understand that there's value in that. But for me, after a while, I had to start customizing it for me. And over time, that's what I've found now that I work with clients and I work with the community at large is that people often get a start and they're like, okay, I'm going to go all in. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to eat these yes foods. I'm not going to eat the no foods. And it gives them a very tangible place to start. But then over time, like it's really hard to maintain a strict yes, no list of foods. Like what do you do when you go on vacation? What do you do when you're out of town and traveling? What do you do when the kid gets sick on the way home from school and you can't make dinner because you're cleaning it all up. I mean, like, what do you do in those moments where life just throws you for a loop? And what I tended to find was that people were getting so attached to strict diet rules where they're like, you know, I only eat these foods, but not these foods. They would just completely come undone and just say, well, screw it. I'm just going to go back to what I did before it because they couldn't like maintain the perfection. And as I continued to work with my community over the years, I was just like, this is not a healthy place to be. This isn't sustainable for people. And while the rules and the guidance and the framework for some people is necessary at the beginning, in order to like find whatever your best mix is for like your life, your health, your goals, all the things you want to accomplish, that takes some tweaking. It takes some listening to yourself, your innate wisdom you know, just considering a lot of different factors. And that might change over time too, as you change. So I became very interested in this idea of personalized nutrition or like a bio-individual approach to nutrition with some kind of key foundational pieces that we know are really important to helping people feel better in their bodies 
and be able to digest and assimilate their food. Cause like, it's not just what you eat. It's what you can digest and assimilate. You know, if your digestion is not great and it, it doesn't really matter what you put in your blood sugar. So my blood sugar was totally wonky. Basically I, I was a reactive hypoglycemic and I would pass out all the time and get super hangry and need to eat every two hours. Or I was like going to rip somebody's head off. So for me, like cutting them out and I was, I love a total sugar addict. Mm. So for me, like learning, breaking the cycle and like learning that I can still have carbs. Yeah. Carbs are delicious, but sugary stuff. I had to kind of limit that mm. so I could feel better, you know? So that's really inspired me to take a new direction And because what I see in the paleo community a lot is still people arguing about like, what's the right thing to do? Like, this is the right, you can't eat potatoes. That's not right. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So a baked potato, like let's throw, let's throw French fries and chips out the door. Cause we know those are fried and sometimes they're fried in really low quality oils. So let's just talk about a baked potato. So you're going to sit there and tell me that a baked potato is going to harm somebody's health. What's the reason there? okay, is this person have blood sugar regulation issues? Does their blood sugar spike way too much when they eat that potato? That could certainly happen. So maybe for them right now, that's not the best option. Maybe they are sensitive to nightshades. So yeah, maybe that potato doesn't work for them. But like, why are we being so dogmatic with rules? And I don't think it's helping anybody. And I don't think it's helping the people in the community who are kind of trying to cultivate these communities of their own and like help people really get healthy. And I don't think it's helping the the folks who are just like, I just want to get healthy, but I'm confused. Are potatoes going to kill me? Why can't I eat fruit? I was afraid to eat fruit for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't love fruits, not super my jam anyway, like in the summer when berries are fresh and they're just coming out and delicious, like, yeah, let me some berries or some fresh apples berries in the fall. Are my jam. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Something like that, you know, but I'm not necessarily a fruit lover, but I remember I got this uh, CSA box. This is probably 2012. I got a CSA box from my local, one of the local organic farms here in San Diego, and I picked it up and it had a watermelon inside. And I remember opening the box, taking out the watermelon and somebody, this was at the gym, the boxes get delivered to the gym. Somebody was walking by and I was like, Hey, you want a watermelon? (laughs) You know, somebody's like, Oh, you don't like watermelon. I was like, no, it's got too many carbs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, those things just, you know, obviously I had to kind of go through that process of learning too, but I think sometimes with nutrition, it gets way too dogmatic. And I think, yeah, if you are an elite athlete and you're trying to eke out those last few percentage points of performance, perhaps some of these like really nitty gritty biohacky or just like nutritional biochemistry, all that stuff can that knowledge can be really helpful and can certainly like the right recovery window and like getting your carbohydrate intake in the sweet spot. Like those things are really important for the highest level of competitors, no doubt. But for, you know, and I say use air quotes here, the average person, and that is not, I consider myself an average person. So that's not a put down, but for the average person who likes fitness, they like exercise, they're not performing at the highest level. I think a lot of times getting bogged down in those nutrition rules, sir, it creates more stress than it, it, like the detriment of the stress that it causes for normal folks oftentimes reverses the benefit that you get from really trying to adhere to these really strict dietary rules. So it's, it's kind of all a balance, you know? I eat a plant-based diet, but I tell people like, look, like you don't have to do a hundred percent, just like add in healthier foods that make you feel good. And I think like the label, like you said, just becomes this like really hard thing and people don't want to wear that label. So Mm -hmm. it's like, let's just, let's just focus on eating healthy things and being healthy people and not like pointing fingers at someone saying, you ate a potato, you're not paleo Mm -hmm. or like the finger pointing thing just is not, Mm -hmm. it causes a lot of anxiety. So yeah, I think creating a space, which is awesome that you're doing this, like creating a space for people where they can just figure out what works for them and figuring out how to change, you know, getting rid of things that we know are really bad for us but finding ways to add in things that make us feel really good. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of us come from, uh, especially women, you know, we come from a culture of dieting. 
Yeah. We come from a, cult- a culture of restriction and removal. And yes, there is a place for healing protocols. For example, the autoimmune protocol, where you remove certain foods for a particular length of time to allow your digestive system to heal and calm down and stop whatever flares you're having from you know foods that you're eating could be contributing to that. So that there's certainly a place and time for that. But by restrictive stuff, I just mean sort of like thinking we have to cut out everything that we like, everything that's enjoyable. (laughs) You know, I know some people that really do hate kale. They have tried it every way. They've (laughs) given it a shot. They just hate it. And I'm like, you don't have to eat something (laughs) that you don't like just because it's quote unquote healthy. And in fact, research shows that people who have the best success on whatever eating plan, and I'm using the, the word diet here, but whatever diet they choose to go on is enjoyment of those healthier foods. It's not by forcing yourself to do things that you hate. And so, yeah, if you don't like kale, like there's luckily a bunch of other amazing leafy greens that you can enjoy. And it's not just about taking things away. And of course, scarcity mindset for a lot of people when they're trying to do something healthy for themselves is just a sabotage waiting to happen. And a lot of people don't do well with like, I'm just going to go cold turkey and jump in and rip the bandaid off and change everything. Most people I've met don't work well with that mentality. I did when I started because it was just me and my husband and we had no kids and we could just do it. And I was like, I'm just going to go all in. But a lot of people that doesn't work for. And so instead of saying, we're going to need to cut out food ABC, XYZ, this isn't healthy, I need to never eat this again, is like, can you add something to your routine? Can you bring something new in? One good example, especially for people with kids or maybe for adults that aren't very veggie uh, savvy, is like try pick every week a color of the rainbow. And it's like, okay, this week I'm going to try something new that's red. I mean, it sounds goofy, but it does work. It's like a challenge for your brain. Like, can I add something in that's red this week? Maybe it's a vegetable. Maybe it's a fruit. Maybe it's both. And just wait for those foods to crowd out some of the other ones. Because for a lot of people, when you, if I'm the nutritionist and I come in and I'm like, all right, Sonia, you're never going to eat this, 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 and this again, you're immediately going to be like, defense, you know, feel defensive and the wall's going to go up and it's not going to be fun (laughs) for you or me. And I think that's a very different way of approaching nutrition though, that a lot of people still are not accustomed to. And so oftentimes they're like, but aren't you going to tell me this big list of things that I can't eat? So I had a client who drank a lot of soda, a lot of soda. And I was like, okay, so let's try adding in something this week. Okay. We're going to try this. And like, can we try reducing the soda maybe by one drink, one, like one can. And so gradually over time, she was able to cut down, but it, it wasn't just take it out a hundred percent, you know? So I think people need to honor that about themselves too. Like, what are you a moderator about? What are you an abstainer about? And try different ways of doing things and see what works. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about just the mental process of changing your label, because I know that that must have been incredibly hard and incredibly scary to suddenly like make a shift in what you're doing and shed that skin. And as you mentioned, you like making changes. It's, it's kind of been on a seven year cycle. So like, can you talk about making that change? And maybe there's lots of people who are probably thinking about, oh, I need to make a change in my life too. And like how they can do that. Yeah, that's a good question. I will tell you, it took me two, almost two years to make that decision <laughs> to change my brand. And we're still kind of in the process of doing that right now. But I've been talking about it for a long, you know, since I decided and I got the, like, I got the blessing of a few people and I talked to my inner circle about it, but it took me two years to be okay with it. And for me, that was just a, you know, it's been my work. And it was something I left everything. I left my job. I was teaching high school for 12 years. I walked away from a program that I had built. I walked away from my, you know, essentially master's degree that I had earned in education. Like, and I still feel like I use it. So it's no big deal. But you know what I mean? On paper, you're kind of like, I walked away from all these things. I walked away from a secure job. I walked away from tenure. 
and I took a risk on something new. And now I want to essentially turn the page and go to a new chapter. But for something to grow, something else usually must die. It must end. You know, for things to open, for doors to open, there need to be hard decisions about doors that need to close. And oftentimes we can't see those things until the process is actually playing out. You know, the ball is rolling down the hill. We've put things in motion and then the opportunities come that we wouldn't have had before. Or, you know, we shift our focus and we, we get interested in learning new things. And the thing that's interesting to me, I was afraid to change my brand for a long time in this like, you know, this thing that I had built because I was like, what if I lose people? What if people unfollow me? You know, what if I can't I just convince them that you should just come with me? And the thing is, it's like, as tempting as that is, and I've definitely been in that space and believed that for different periods of my life. And even recently, I still like I, I try to stay focused on what is the mission what is the vision? Who are the people I want to serve? And no, everybody talks about FOMO, right? Like fear of missing out. Well, there's that opposite sort of like joy of missing out. Like I don't have to be everything to everybody. I can change my focus. And for me, you know, I think it's unrealistic to look at somebody and go, you should never change or learn or do anything new. That to me is the most unrealistic thing. I mean, we're here on this planet, we could choose to stay the same if we wanted. But to me, it's like, what's the opportunity to learn new things and and change our broaden our perspectives, learn about opposing views, we don't maybe necessarily need to agree with them. But we can learn to have compassion and see the other side of the coin, or see where people are coming from. And so for me, I finally, (laughs) around New Year woke up and was like, that's, that's it, we're, we're burning it all down, we're just going to change it. And it, it took me a while to be okay with that. And I can't really tell you 100% what exactly flipped in my brain because I really do believe there's this difference between knowing something in your brain, you know, like logically, I know that this, this thing is the best thing for me or my business or my life. And then actually feeling it in your heart and kind of in your gut or in your lizard brain, like wherever you have that gut instinct, that gut feeling And I think the thing is, is like, you'll always figure it out. And fear is important. I don't necessarily believe in fearlessness, the lack or absence of fear. I believe in taking action in the face of fear. If you can recognize the fear and go, okay, thank you, by the way, because you're trying to keep me safe. I appreciate that. That's an important thing. But you know what? In this case... I got it. We're okay right now. This is going to be fine. And proceeding to take action, even though you're scared, to me is where real power and real confidence, like real inner power comes from. It's not in the waiting around to feel like you're, you're not scared anymore. I'm still scared. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, with this rebrand and you know, all the people that have written to me are like, I love this. This is amazing. Maybe there's a bunch of people who didn't write to me who were like, this is a huge mistake. What are you doing? <laughs> that could be that could be possible. But you know, sometimes you just have to pick a path and walk it. And when you get stuck, because you're so afraid to change. That is where, like the apathy, the like the lowest energy, kind of emotions like the the helplessness, the resignation, the giving up, like that's where that stuff comes from. So I feel like even if you're moving forward and you do make a mistake, I recently was listening to Marie Forleo's podcast and she had an amazing guest on, a judge, and she was talking about failure. It's not like a character flaw. It's just an event. (laughs) And I think so many of us, you know, we've grown up thinking that failure means that we're damaged we couldn't do something right. We didn't get it right. Like something is wrong with us and learning to expect that there may be failure, you know, like you're gonna, you're probably going to mess things up, but that's okay. You're resourceful. You might mess things up, but you can turn it around. 
where you can shift in a new direction because nobody's a mind reader. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. And so for a lot of people, myself included, we get sort of like the analysis paralysis of like, is this the right answer or is this the right answer? I don't know. And so we don't actually end up taking any action at all. So those are just some things that have kind of some perspectives that have helped me. I don't know if that was a coherent answer, but, um, you know, it's different for everything. And I feel like the more I can just ask myself questions as that kind of outside observer, I have this voice. I, ha- I don't have a name for it. My inner critic voice is uh, is Barbara. Um, but <laughs> I learned that from Mark Groves because he had a podcast all about that. We talked about like naming your inner critic. Because they're, you know, that voice that's probably trying to keep you safe, but it annoys the crap out of you because it's just always negative. You know, but I think the more we can develop that curiosity, the questioning, the outside observer, who's like, I wonder what would happen if I did this thing. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, that's an interesting thought you're having right now. <laughs> I wonder what that's all about. Rather than just the, what's wrong with you? You're never going to be good at this. This is a terrible idea. I think the more you practice that, the easier it gets. I don't think it ever gets easy. Maybe some things, but for me, it, it maybe gets like a degree easier every time I come up against something that's big. And I've just also learned to have a lot of trust in myself. A lot of people, you know, talk about like trusting the universe and like the universe will provide. And I am kind of woo, but for me, it's trust in myself. Trust in myself and my abilities, trust in myself and my capacity to learn, trust in myself to have compassion and grace if I do do something that's turned out to not be a great idea. I mean, I don't know about you. I've spent a lot of money for my my business. Like I've spent a lot of money on things where I was like, damn, well, that was (laughs) that didn't really work out. Mm -hmm. But I mean, how else do you grow and how else do you take chances and push yourself, you know, that comfort zone? The comfort zone is important. Because I don't think we can feel unsafe all the time. I don't think that's ideal. But walking that knife edge and gradually nudging outside of that when you can, that's really where the, the good stuff happens. But we have to practice that too. And if we're only ever in our safe spot, then when we do come up against something that's challenging or confronting, we just haven't had the skills, we haven't had the practice, and it feels really, really hard. Yeah. And I'd love to talk about your four pillars of health because I know you have a new book that you're working on and this has been a core of a lot of your recent podcast episodes. So like, how did you, first of all, what are they? And then how did you arrive at these are the, these are the main players in the, in this game for me? Yeah. Good question. So the core four, the four pillars of health for me are eat nourishing foods, strengthen your body, recharge your energy, and get your mindset right. And they came about really through my own experience and thinking about what were the things, the things I knew how to, what were the things I knew how to do real well? Well, I knew how to try to eat less and move more. And that didn't help me get much healthier, you know, because again, if you had looked at me from the outside, you would have thought she looks completely normal. But how I felt on the inside was anything but. So it wasn't just an answer of like eating less and moving more. And so as I started off on my own kind of quest in 2010, I realized it wasn't just about how much you eat or isn't it? It isn't just about how much energy is in your food. It's about nourishment. And by the way, that can look different for different people. And it's not just what you eat. It's how you eat it. It's who you eat it with. It's why you eat it. You know, so like these things get very nuanced and and kind of complex. But what I found for me was that I couldn't just focus on diet and exercise anymore. Like I couldn't just eat less and move more and hope that it was still going to work. Because after, what, 15 years, it still wasn't working. And so as I began to go on my own journey and progress through these different layers, yeah, for me, food was the first thing I really changed and changing pretty much my diet from top to bottom that gave me the chance to feel better in my body so that I had more energy to pursue other things that then positively fed back into me feeling better, feeling more confident, having more self-compassion, having more agency over myself. 
taking up more space. So when I considered the whole thing and I was in 2015, 2014, 2015 was trying to put together a coaching program. Cause I was like, I want to help other people with this. And I want to help other people look beside or look outside of just eat less, move more. Mm-hmm. Cause we've all been, we're, I still hear from women who are like, my doctor said eat less, move more. I'm already, I'm eating 1200 calories a day. I don't know how much less I can oh. eat than that. It's frightening. So when I thought about everything that helped me on my journey, these were the four like nuts and bolts. And what I tend to see is we're either hyper-focused on one of these or we're hyper-focused on an aspect of one of these. And it typically is nutrition and, and exercise. I don't know anybody who's like meditating too hard. You know, it's usually women who are like, I'm obsessed with counting my calories or I'm always trying to tweak my carbs and like, I think I need to be lower carb because it's not working anymore. Like where we get hyper-focused and I'm like, how's your sleep? People are like, oh yeah, not so great. Or how do you set your goals? Do you set process related goals? Like every day, what are you, or every week, what are you going to commit to? Or are you only focused on the big picture? You know, so it's everything from how you, your, like your workflow to your sleep, to your relationships, to your goals, right? And so what I help people do is to focus on small, manageable changes in areas that they're currently lacking in those four things. Now I call them core because to me, those are the most important things to at least get yourself started. It's not the only, it's not the be all end all, right? Like connection, nature, learning, like purpose. These things are all really integral as well. But I find that for most people that I work with and the people that have gone through my program, mostly women, they're like, (laughs) mindset is the biggest area that I know I need to work on, or I'm currently just not taking enough time for myself. Because here's the thing, not everybody needs to say yes to more things. (laughs) sometimes you need to say no to more things. We're really great at giving other people our energy and we're not super great at having boundaries and putting a little bit more energy into our tank. You know, sometimes it's like realizing that our perfectionism, it's our armor. It doesn't bring us joy. We're not perfectionists for the joy of it. It's how we try to protect ourselves. And can we start to peel back that armor and those layers? And it's, you know, it's a messy, long process that's different for everybody. But the framework that I put together is like, let's look at these four areas and see if right now you're not putting any thought or attention into how you manage your energy in your day, which is like what you do during your day and then what you do at night when you go to sleep. How can we introduce one or maybe two simple, small things right now that you're going to take action on today. So that's really where we kind of go with all that stuff. Yeah. And that's such an amazing starting point for people to start looking into more of the content you put out, your book, your podcast, like where can people find all these things if they are hearing what you're saying and saying like, this is exactly what I need to work on. And I really, (laughs) really, really want to get on this train. Probably the easiest place If you're interested in podcasts, it's Harder to Kill Radio. That's my twice a week podcast that I host Tuesday with a guest, which you were on not too long ago. And um, (laughs) Fridays, I do a short kind of 20 minute solo show. It's a little bit more on the real talk side, but I do talk about a lot of things that come up in my community and um, everything else you can get to through, well, everything really you can get to through the website, which for now is still stupideasypaleo.com. And once we're launching the new site, hopefully within the next month, you can still type that in and you'll get redirected. But the new site is going to be stepgodro.com. Awesome. And yeah, I just want to say thank you for just being this force in the world that is so powerful and also just a space where people can like be at ease whenever they hear you speak, whenever they see the things that you're doing. It's so helpful to have that speaking for myself as well, just to, to have that space with you that you don't even really know about. So thank you so much for just being awesome and being true to yourself and continuing to push and grow and also rest. Thanks. And same for you. I mean, I love everything that you're up to and 
how you walk your own path. And I think that's really inspiring for people. And um, it's just been a pleasure to chat with you again. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you. That hour went by really fast. There was a lot of things that I was hoping we could get to, but we didn't. So you should definitely go to her podcast, Harder to Kill Radio, where she does cover a lot more topics and gets deeper into some of the things that we talked about. Also reach out to Steph, go on to her Instagram. She's really responsive on there. She manages multiple Facebook groups. The best place to go is to her website. And as she mentioned, at the time of this recording, it was stupideasypaleo.com, but it's transitioned to the website stephgodro.com. And that is spelled Steph, S-T-E-P-H-G-A-U-D-R-E-A-U. Woo, glad I took French in high school. Thanks again for listening to the show. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you right back here next week.